What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the I Choose series podcast. On this episode, uh, we are speaking with Kendall Seesmeyer. She is an amazing, amazing individual, uh, a journalist, a producer who is the founder of a nonprofit organization called Kids Caring for Kids. This was an amazing episode on so many levels. I think that um, we really get personal with Kendall into kind of like what goes on in her mind and her thoughts and, and how she's able to achieve um, just some amazing, amazing ways of helping other people. Um, you could actually see this whole, you know, unedited version on our iChoose series Facebook. And if you're not already following us on Facebook and Instagram, that's the best place to start. So thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoy the show. Um, well, why don't you introduce yourself? I feel like it's been, you know, it's been a while since you and I spoke. Yeah. Why don't you introduce yourself and, um, and tell us where you're from and a little bit about who you are. Sure. So, as you said, my name is Kendall Seesmeyer. I am originally from the suburbs of Chicago, so the Chicagoland area, but I'm currently living in New York City. Um, and nice. Yeah, and I, uh, I'm a, the founder of a nonprofit called Kids Caring for Kids, um, as well as uh, Kids Caring yes, for Kids, as well as. Um, okay. Some other, I do some other things in my life. Um, I just started a new job uh, that I, thank you, thank you. Um, so I'm a journalist um, and I am a producer. So I'm, I essentially uh, tell stories for a living um, as well as uh, work on the nonprofit stuff and, you know, et cetera. All that cool yeah. stuff. <laughs> well, I know that you and I, we have a mutual friend who kind of brought us together, yeah, um, who thought that, yeah, I thought that, uh, I thought it was really awesome. Elizabeth's really, really cool. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she, she and I were talking and I was sharing kind of what I was doing with the whole I Choose series and the Facebook lives and the Instagram lives. And she just thought that you would be an amazing, amazing guest. And then you and I had an opportunity to speak and you shared a little bit of your story with me and man, my heart. Woo, big time stuff. So I don't want to keep everyone waiting. Why don't you jump right in? Tell us just a little bit about your Sure. Story. So uh, I can keep going on for a very long time. So you'll have to like cut me off. Um, I'll interrupt you every now good, and then. Okay. So um, I guess the, the best place to start my story is uh, when I was 11. So when I was 11 years old, I um, saw a Oprah Winfrey Christmas special highlighting the lives of children living in sub-Saharan Africa. And she was particularly featuring, featuring children in South Africa. She had this big Christmas party and she went into some of these kids' homes after the Christmas party and showed where they were living. Um, and she so showed these, you know, I remember vividly this girl named Candy Sile. Um, and she was 13 years old and I was 11, so only two, two years older than I was. And she was living um, in the middle of what seemed like nowhere um, with no running water and no electricity. And she was taking care of both of her siblings because both of her parents had died of AIDS. And so I had never heard of the AIDS epidemic. I had never seen that kind of extreme poverty before. I was laying in my parents' bedroom. This was like a nighttime special, watching it with them and um, just was totally dumbfounded by what I was what I was seeing and you know I had a concept of American poverty but I certainly had no concept of this kind of extreme poverty where where children were really left to fend for themselves 
And mm. I couldn't imagine being, um, being Candy Sile. And so I just really connected with her as someone who was a very similar age. And um, they said on the episode that $10 could buy a uniform to help, you know, kids go to school. And so, uh, and that you needed a uniform to go to school. And so I thought, well, I have $10. And it was kind of a light bulb moment for me because I knew kind of right after I'd seen that episode that that I wanted to do orphans in Africa because what do you do when you don't know what to do? You Google it. Um, and I, Google. yeah, exactly. And I found uh, World Vision, which runs an orphan sponsorship program. And the annual budget, or sorry, the budget for like, it was the $360 of, um, to sponsor or uh, financially support uh, a kid. And so that was the first thing I did. I was like, okay. I'm going to find, find someone here that I can help. And I found this eight-year-old girl from Mauritania, and her name was Benit. And I went into my dresser drawer and grabbed out a stash of saved-up birthday and Christmas money. And I stuffed it in an envelope and addressed it to World Vision. And I went to my parents' bedroom, and I asked my mom for a stamp. And she's like, what are you doing out of bed? And I was like, well, um, I'm not telling you. Where are the stamps? And, of course, that does not fly <laughs> with parents. And so they're like, okay, honey, like, you're going to tell me what you're doing. And so I finally told her. And then I said, I just don't know if I should send $360 all at once or $30 each month. You know, I, I had literally cash stuffed into an envelope. Um, so obviously my parents got involved and they were like, okay, like, let's see what this is. <laughs> like, let's figure this out. Yeah. But their whole thing was like, how about, you know, we split it. You know, that's a lot of money. And I said, no, no, I'm not doing halvesies. Like, this is my thing, parents. Um, and so they let me do it. They let me kind of, um, you know, donate my own money. And uh, I basically a few months later, I got a letter back from um, the girl I was sponsoring and she was in school for the first time, learning how to read and add and write. And I thought, like, put magic paper in magic envelope, and it did a magical thing. It was very simple to me. And I thought, well, if I could yeah. do that, I could get all of my friends to do it. Because I remembered $10 is enough to buy a uniform, and uniforms in that part of the world help kids go to school. So, again, like, 11-year-old, very simple. It was like I just wanted to do something, and I, and I knew that I could do something. And so it, at that yeah. time, it became apparent that I was going to need a liver transplant because I was... That you yes, were. You were going to need, need a liver, liver transplant. transplant. I was, and how old are you? Still 11? Yes, I'm 11. And uh, okay. it, it was... And you just gave all your money away. <laughs> I gave all my money away. Got no more money. That's yeah, good. we're done. No yeah. more money and now you need yeah, a liver exactly. transplant. But so I was born with a liver disease and I always knew I was going to have a transplant became more apparent at that time that it was necessary sooner rather than later. I was put on the list, um, but anyone who knows anything about organ donation knows it's very hard to get an organ off the list. Um, and so we proceeded with my dad being a, a, a candidate to donate part of his liver as a living donor. And he was a match. And so we had a date. Um, it was going to be right after I finished my fifth grade year. And ahead of that time, and I was kind of doing this thing where I had sponsored Benit and I had gotten a letter back and I was feeling so good. And 
I was kind of moving into this time of my life where I was going to have this transplant and I'd had surgeries growing up uh, before and I knew that you get a lot of teddy bears and a lot of things that you don't need. And so my idea was that I would ask for people who were, you know, wanted to do something for me, for my family, to donate to support um, a larger project in one of the most highly affected areas um, by the AIDS epidemic at the time, which was in uh, Museli, Zambia, instead of uh, giving me teddy bears, flowers, gifts, etc. So anytime they would feel bad for me, I would say, no, no, don't give me anything. Please donate here. <laughs> and, yeah. and essentially, it, it, that's really what kickstarted the whole thing. Um, you know, I set up my first project with World Vision again, the organization I did a the um, orphan sponsorship program with and the annual budget for the project in Zambia was about $60,000. So I said, okay, that's my first goal. I'm going to raise $60,000. And my parents are like, how about, you know, 3,000, like 2,000. I'm like 60,000 <laughs> and like, throwing it down. Um, and, you know, meanwhile I had, that summer, my first liver transplant, and then five weeks later, a second liver transplant. Um, and while I was undergoing these um, transplants, I uh, was kind of openly blogging about my experience. Um, so we had set up this thing called a care page, which doesn't exist anymore because we have things like Facebook and blogs and uh, Instagram and Twitter. We had all we, that what didn't exist at the time, and so yeah. it was a way for me to update friends and family, and they would get email notifications that I posted an update, and then they could write back comments to me. So it was like truly before its time, and it was like just meant for people who are going through something medical. And so I would be blogging kind of about my experience and asking people to donate, and what happened was that people were taking my, my posts and sending it to their entire email contact lists. And so my, my posts were going viral, um, in the kind of old internet way. <laughs> um, wow, and cool. all of these people all across the country started to donate to the project. And, um, by the end of that summer, so I'd had two liver transplants in five weeks and we'd raised about $20,000 of outright donations. Um, and at that time, um, we then decided to, to kind of formalize the effort and applied to be a 501c3. Uh, and I wanted to call it Kids Caring for Kids because my whole vision was that no one was asking me for my money and I was so mad about it. <laughs> like, no one thought that, like, it was important to tell me about this thing, about these kids who are my age, who are living with no parents because of a disease they had no control over. And so uh, I just was so mad about it and I wanted to tell all of my friends about it and I wanted us to be kids who were caring for other kids who were then going to care for other kids around them. And so it was kind of just wow. this whole uh, pay it forward kind of concept, but also just this, uh, this kind of step into youth kind of activism, which I think is like so prevalent today, but like wasn't really a thing when I was younger. Um, and I was just so passionate about getting young people aware and involved um, to, to do something for other people. And so mm -hmm. We formalized Kids Caring for Kids. It became a 501c3 about six months later. 
And um, the mission uh, is to inspire and empower young people to help provide basic human needs to children living in Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, incredible. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely incredible. And it's, it, it went really well. I mean, so, you know, many, many years later, we've raised over a million dollars, you know, helped around 10,000 people in four different countries, working with local on the ground, ground partners. Um, we've built a high school. Uh, we've helped expand a K through eighth grade school, computer labs, clinics. Um, it's been computer, like, just like it's been so incredible to kind of watch and brought indoor plumbing to communities, feeding programs, orphan care centers. Um, and all. Have you been there to see all this stuff I have, too? yes, yes. Um, so it's a little bit tricky for me to, to visit projects because of my kind of ongoing health issues, but I have been able to go um, and it was incredible because I think you can, you know, for the first well, it was like the, for the first one, two, three, four, five, seven years of working on it, I just survived off of photos and stories because uh, I just wasn't at the time where I was healthy enough to go. Um, I take immune suppression, uh, which which every kind of post transplant patient does to um, make sure that we don't reject our organ. Uh, we take immune suppression, so we take a pill that every day that makes our immune system not work as well so it's very um is that for life unless you can wean off of it but most people most people can't really wean off of it but it's like this whole process i'm now um nearly 15 years post transplants and i still take it so yeah which means you know i just get i get infections easier i get sick easier it's harder for me to get over things um and yeah it just makes other you can get cancer more easily it's just it makes all different sorts of things a little bit more complicated wow yeah so but basically um you know kids caring for kids to me was like this incredible thing because it allowed me to i always say exchange my sympathy currency for real change right like i got to mm. I was I so that. always so inspired by Bono and what he did in he's what he's done in a lot of different ways, but specifically around the areas of extreme poverty. Um, and he, I like grew up listening to U2's music and was just like a really big fan. Um, my whole I should have put on U2 yeah, tonight, exactly. not Michael Jackson. <laughs> oh, well, um, no, you were good. Uh, and so he always he always talks about exchanging his rock star currency and that I always found incredibly inspiring because every everyone has currency in their life everyone has some some thing that they can exchange in for something else like some reason that people are listening to you paying attention to you caring about you whether it's like your teacher in a classroom or you I mean everyone has influence in other people's lives and for me it was like I was getting a lot of sympathy from people and I could exchange my sympathy for something that was had nothing to do with me I didn't have to be Kendall the sick girl I got to be Kendall the girl who wanted to help other people and the Mm -hmm. I think the thing that I've learned the most about kids caring for kids is that you know in our weakest most vulnerable times we can actually be powerful because we can be powerful for other people and 
that's a a huge concept. Like to me, it was life changing because I had no control over my circumstance. Um, And it was very, very challenging for many, many years. Um, I struggled with complications for my, my second transplant for uh, like 12 years after. Um, So just recently kind of have become more healthy than I've ever been in my entire life. But this concept that I, while I could not change my circumstances, I couldn't decide whether or not I was going to be, you know, sick. Um, I had no control over my body's circumstances, but I could be beneficial to other people. I could do something Mm. for other people. And I think that that makes you feel significantly less powerless in your situation because like, yeah, I can't do anything about my situation, but I could do something about yours. And everyone has that Mm. power. You don't have to be the, you know, I I speak a lot to kids, but you don't have to be like the popular kid at school. You don't have to be the smartest kid at school. You don't have to be the best athlete. You can be anyone. In fact, you can be sick and you can still be powerful. And I think that that's, Mm. that's really what Kids Caring for Kids has taught me because I was able to take this this time of my life and, and have such a positive purpose um, and a positive mm. thing to focus on. And I think that that really brought me and my family through all of the hard things. Where does this compassion come from? You know, it's, I'm listening to you speak and, you know, I kind of feel like, well, I mean, sometimes, sometimes you can see, you know, when you're scrolling through your social media feed or, you know, you're reading, you're Googling, whatever it is, you can see there's, there seems to be a lack of compassion in the Mm. world. You know, people just don't care for other people like we used to. And I want to know where your compassion came from. Like, what was it inside of you that was like, I, I can make a difference in someone else's life and I'm going to do it because a lot of people have thoughts, have these ideas, Mm -hmm. they come and Mm -hmm. they go, but you actually took action. You made a choice you made a decision, you know, to actually do something about this. Where did that come huh. from? Well, I think I was a little bit born with a, a extended sense of empathy, per se. I don't know. I think part of growing up feeling like an outsider or feeling different, I think, uh, led me to feel a lot more uh, attuned to other people's needs. Um, I think I always felt different growing up. And so I always attracted people or always was attracted to people who were also seemed different or seemed uh, like the underdog. Um, So Mm. stemming from even like my first grade class when my teacher sat me next to, or sat the girl from the Czech Republic who didn't know a word of English next to me because she knew that I was gonna like take care of her and help her. I think I always had a little bit of that sense um, because I always felt different. And, and I think that a lot of people have that, like, you just have to realize that everyone, everyone has that something, like everyone has something inside of them that makes them feel sad or hurt or different or broken or bad um, or less than, right? And, and I just had the ability to identify that in other people and I was attracted to it because I was so self-conscious about my, my own thing that if I saw that in someone else, I was like, we can be friends because we're the same, you know, even though if we're not the same and our circumstances are different, but I thought 
I was just, I just was attracted to those kind of people. And I think that I just have, I've had that kind of sense of empathy from a really young age because of the feeling, the very strong feeling of feeling different. But I think that everyone grows up, right? And everyone eventually develops that feeling of feeling really different. Um, and I think the, 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 other, the other thing is just, just the lack of awareness of the fact that everyone else around you also feels the same way. And there's something inside of them that makes them feel different. Um, and so I, I think the compassion thing is mostly like if you can tap into your own vulnerability, you suddenly can, if you can access that and you can face that and you can be comfortable enough with that, then you can see it in other people. And that if you open up and you're vulnerable, other people open up too. And then you learn. And and I think it's just like a practice. It's a practice of like opening yourself up and then other people open themselves up too. And then you just, it's just proven time and time and time and time again in conversations with people and experiences with people that everyone's got something. And then you immediately begin to identify with them. And I think compassion comes from identification and understanding, right? And if once you kind of skim back all the packaging that we all have around who we are, right? Like our presentation, uh, our posturing, like whoever we pretend or act to be, if you can scrape all of those things away and get down to the true kind of core and vulnerability of who someone is, then you realize that like we all have the same feelings. Like we might have vastly different experiences um, I have a vastly different life experiences than experience than you, but we both understand what it feels like to be broken, sad, and lonely, scared, um, anxious, you know, whatever it is. And, and I think if you can tap into that kind of feeling in your, of your own, then you can start to see it in other people. Yeah, I agree. You know, and part of this whole, I choose series, part of this whole campaign, um, you know, I, I, I did a film a couple of years ago called The Human Experience, and it took me like 25 countries showing that film, screening different languages, different cultures. Um, and, you know, it really kind of broke the barriers because in that film, it's really about like talking about these questions of like answer, asking the questions of like, who, who are we? What are we about? Um, I think that, you know, we kind of all want the same thing. You know, and I think that vulnerability is key. But, you know, in order to be vulnerable, I think people, the first step is that we have to be comfortable with who we are. Yeah. We have to really be comfortable with who we are because that that is the key to allowing us to be vulnerable to people first. Sure. But I think, you know, know, a bit of it is just like a a bit of like bravery, right? Like just deciding that you're not going to like be confined by this like the, by the shackles of like keeping it all together all the time because totally yeah. totally and and i and i don't think that i always feel 100% comfortable with myself but i think that the thing is when i post something on instagram that's really vulnerable about my life or i share something that feels really scary to me the thing is like people are a attracted to vulnerability because they they identify with it and B, it's like, 100%. I think it's so much more powerful. Like if, if all you do is spend your time talking about just what everyone else is talking about, um, I think that you, we're just missing out on so many opportunities to have like meaningful impact in people's lives. And 
Yeah. Uh, and I'm driven by impact, right? So like, and I've always felt that way. And so, and I think that a little bit of that has to, you know, comes from the idea that I never really knew how much time I was going to have. Like, I grew up sick. Like, I grew up not necessarily always thinking that things were not always going to go my way. Um, and, uh, you know, I think I always had an eye for, okay, I'm going to just go go all out here because I have limited time. Like, everything else gets kind of put into perspective, right? And and I want to make yeah. the biggest impact I can make in a, the shortest amount of time, like, that includes being vulnerable because being vulnerable, like I think is the way to have like a meaningful impact on people's lives. I, I don't know. I mean, that's no, been I agree my with you. I agree with you, but it takes courage. It takes so much courage. It takes courage. It takes bravery. And I think that it's also like a part of it is maybe it's not for you, but I know for a lot of people, they struggle with caring about what other people think. Oh, of I totally care. Then, I totally care. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm at a new place in my life where I'm just like I'm I'm not caring. Anymore. Yeah, I totally care. I mean, the thing is, like, it's interesting because I'll, I'll I actually think I I've become better about choosing who I care, like what they think about me. Like, I don't really care what strangers <laughs> think about me. I care what like people I know and like people I uh, am friends with think about me. And I think then if your friends if if you care mostly about what your friends think of you then like i i don't know at the end of the day i don't think uh, i love my friends regardless of whatever they who like whatever they do like i don't really care i just love them as people and so if i have yeah. those kinds of friends then i i shouldn't have to worry so much about that but i mean i think you're always trapped into worry look i just started a new job I totally care what everyone at that company thinks of me. I totally care. I totally care. But I also don't want to live a lie, right? Because that's yeah. not fun. And that's yeah. not, that's not, I, that's too much stress. That's too much to live up to. Um, so it's like, kind of, I don't know. I think you're, you're, I'm never going to master not caring fully about what people think mm. of me. That's something that honestly, that's something I'm working on like every single day. Yeah. Just caring, caring less and less and less. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a healthy balance, right. like what you're saying, you know, like you don't care about what strangers think, but you have friends in your life who you know care about you and you care about them. And so it's like yeah, a relationship. So they kind of keep you in check. I get that. I'm not, I'm not like, yeah. And I've also, I've also totally that. had people who like hate me for, you know, doing a charity. Like growing up, I had plenty of kids who were mean to me for like doing something that was different. And, and at the end of the day, I go, I'm not doing this for them. I'm not doing this for them. Like, why, why do I have yeah. to? And yeah, it's not always easy. Right. But I'm, I'm not living my life for other people because I get this one chance. Right. Yeah. So I think you just have to get yeah. to that point where you're fed up. And then I think yeah. it just kind of, everything falls into perspective. Right. I think a lot of it comes from suffering too. You know, the suffering sure. is, is yeah. part of it. You know, like, it puts things I'm not going to make myself sure. suffer more. <laughs> Right. Totally, without a doubt. Well, listen, you're talking about kids caring for kids, the non-for-profit that you've been, you know, that you started at, was 11, it 11 that you started yeah, at? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. 11 years old, okay. 
And um, I mean, it's it's grabbed the attention of some people. No? It has, yeah. <laughs> do tell, do tell. Uh, so I it was about uh, my freshman year of high school. Um, we'd raised about uh, I got like a hundred and twenty dollars, thousand dollars from just fundraising efforts, all raised by kids. Um, it was about like the second week of my freshman year, um, and there was this big surprise assembly and. President Clinton showed up to my high school um, and he had just written this book about giving and how anyone could make a difference. And so he shows up at my high school. I went to this big public high school and we have this like huge assembly and no one had any idea that he was going to be there. And he shows up and he starts talking about our school and how we're doing all this like giving stuff and volunteerism. And all of a sudden he calls me out um, and calls me up on stage, which I had no idea about. Um, actually, I actually was very <laughs> sick. I had like a super high fever that day and I was uh, almost not going to go to school because I wasn't at school the day before. And it was crazy because I was wow. like, I don't know if I'm liver sick or if I'm regular sick. So it was wild. I had like a 102 degree fever that whole day. Um, and I went to school because my parents basically pushed me out the door um and I you know first period we had this big assembly and I get called up on stage and then he's telling everyone in my school um of course I didn't know by the way because I was a freshman um so I'd only known a very like you know small subsect of those people from middle school um and I was like here's my chance I'm going into high school I get to make my own my make my own person I could be whoever I want to be and then all of a sudden and then the president come and yeah he did he really did um and you know I'm standing up on that stage and he's telling everyone what I've done with kids caring for kids and then he you know I'm thinking to myself like oh I hope I get a homecoming date out of this (laughs) that was my my like you know very natural 14 year old girl brain (laughs) was like take me to homecoming boys you know um (laughs) and then he announces that he's gonna take me um down with him to be on the oprah show so we drove down in a presidential motorcade um and then i was on the show with president clinton um so i was like sitting between president clinton and oprah (laughs) it was pretty weird (laughs) And um, yeah, and you're 14. At I was the time. 14, and we're gonna find. Can we find that on YouTube? Can you can, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, can. so you can right, find gonna, somebody's gotta you find, can find that, clips, and we gotta put that in the yeah. Comments. You can find um, so I was on Oprah's uh, Where Are They Now? Uh, which is a show that they, they do on Oprah's network where they re talk to um, you know, guests in their past, and mm-hmm. so that's where you can find parts of the original story is in the YouTube Oprah where are they now clip that I'm in. So yeah, and they did that when I was in college, I guess. But yeah, so what what was what was incredible about that was that it totally exploded the organization. Um, You know, we went from this like basement organization, literally like t shirts in my basement to like, to this like very internationally known thing. Um, and I got requests from all over the world and, um, you know, to like speak and to do this and that and whatever. And my parents pretty much like shielded me from a lot of it, I think, because they were like, you're going to be a normal kid. Um, and but, you know, it, what it really did was like totally blow up the organization and we raised so much money. Um, and someone on the show who was traveling with President Clinton 
donated half a million dollars right on the show. So um, immediately kind of we like had to kind of figure out what, okay, like now we have so much money and we can fund all of these different kinds of things. Like what are we going to go do? And we, you know, took a, took a little bit of time to kind of focus inward on just creating some kind of like uh, substance around the organization. I mean, it, it was really just like me and my mom and my dad, like just kind of figuring out what we were doing as we were doing it. Um, and, you know, not, neither one of my parents, I think, really ever imagined or envisioned them getting involved in this kind of a thing in the sense that like, they just had no idea about any of this. And they just kind of fell into it because they couldn't really say no to a sick kid. <laughs> and um, and wow. so I think it was just this total kind of weird thing where we were just learning as we were going. Um, and, and that was a super exciting time. And I learned so much. I think I learned more than I probably even realized today about just how to run things, how to start things, um, how to raise money, how to tell stories that impact people, um, which is like great because that's still what I do today um, in my like day job. I still um, I get paid to tell stories that impact people, um, which is great because that's all I love doing. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a. Uh, it's interesting because it just was, it was like one heart action that led into something that was so, so, so much bigger than I'd ever intended. Um, and, and that's why I always tell people when they're like thinking about trying to do something for someone else, they, they want to get involved in something and they go, Oh, I just need to start this organization. I need to do all these things. And, and I'm like, no, just, just start with one thing. Like just, just donate yeah. whatever to some organization or go volunteer somewhere. You never know what that's going to lead you to. I had no intention yeah. of starting a nonprofit that would, you know, raise money and get involved in all these different programs. And, you know, I just had no idea that that was going to, I mean, I was 11. I, of course I had no idea. Yeah. Um, and I think that like, you just take the next step, like just one foot in front of the other and, and, and another step and another step. And I still have to tell myself this today. I have to remind myself all of these lessons that I learned when I was 11. I have to re-remind myself now that I'm an adult because I think when you're 11, the world is simple, right? You don't see mm. the limits that we see when we're adults. You grow, you grow mm. up and you become jaded and you're like, well... I can, why even bother doing something because the problem is so huge. I'm not going to make yeah. an impact or this is, you know, I just think that we get so polluted with all of this kind of stuff that this garbage that doesn't really matter. And a lot of this doubt um, and a lot of this just like jadedness, right? This just uh, skepticism. And, and I think like, I always have to remind myself even today when I'm thinking about getting involved in something or doing something and I get caught in that train of thought, like, no, no, just one thing. You just do one good thing. And then the next day yeah. you do another thing and it doesn't even have to be the next yeah. day. Like who knows? Like it's three months from now, it's four months from now, another thing comes, comes your way. I think so much about 
Kids Caring for Kids was like feeling a call, answering the call, and then just walking through whatever doors were put in my path. And I really feel in a lot of ways like that, what, what happened with that organization happened like to me, rather I happened to it. And I, I think... Yeah. Are, you still, are you still running the organization? Yeah, now? I mean, so I, it's now been adopted by a larger organization that was one of our partners for a really long time called um, Life Song for mm-hmm. Orphans. And so they're actually uh, a partner we've had for the, about, about like seven years now. Um, and so we worked with them in Kitwe, Zambia, and loved our experience working with them so much that uh, they have now adopted Kids Caring for Kids as its kids branch. And we, I kind of just act as an advisor, which is nice because I, I think, you know, when I started something when I was 11, I never kind of had any, int- any idea of what it would become. And then, and then it became this thing that I didn't know if I wanted to do full time in my life. Um, but I still wanted to be involved and I still thought it was meaningful, but I just also wanted to pursue these other things that I really cared about. And so it became this really kind of complicated thing where after I graduated college, it was like, okay, well, we, I just knew I needed to find a home for it that would care for it and that I could be a part of it and that I could trust and that I could, it could still continue to inspire people, but it didn't have to be, it didn't have to be exactly what it was. It could just be what it like it is now. Right. And, Mm. and so I, I find it like just great that it can be what it is and, and I can be involved in it and it can continue to help people. And that's all I really care about. And, and I also can go out and explore all the other things that I am, am interested in. Man, man, I love that. You know, we are coming to the end here of our show. Um, man, I, I just want to know, like, Kendall, from all of this experience that you have, um, what would you say is one of the most, and when I say all this experience, I mean the non-for-profit, working with other people, helping other people, the, your own illness yeah, trauma yeah, yeah. that you've been mm-hmm. through, you know, what is it um, that stands out as the biggest lesson? Um, it's hmm. a good question. I think, I mean, I think I'm I kind of, I think I kind of said it before. I think it's like, we can be powerless, but we can actually be powerful. Like, I, I just always really was interested in taking that concept of like, who is powerless? Like, and what does that actually look like to be powerless? Cause I don't actually think that it really exists. Um, I don't actually think that you're ever powerless um, because, because again, you have that ability to be powerful for other people. And that to me is, is like real power. Um, I, I think that power is something that's so corrupted these days and uh, it's because it's not, it's not for other people, right? It's like power for yourself is, 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 is different. It's like, we have to tap into our own powerlessness to be powerful for other people. And I don't think that leaders do that today. I think that leaders think mm-hmm. that they have to be powerful themselves. Um, and I actually mm-hmm. think it's the opposite. In order to be powerful for other people, you have to be powerless. Um, you have to tap into that vulnerability. You have to tap into that pain. You have to be open and honest and brave in order to 
help other people. Because if you can't feel it yourself, you can't really help other people that are facing something like that. I think that we have to like be able to access that pain um, and be brave enough mm. to do it, to do that work. Yeah, that's, that's pretty deep. Um, and yeah, I also just think at the end of the day, I mean, I'm, I'm a person of like faith and I believe in God. And I think at the, like, for me, it's like, God can dream a bigger dream than you ever would have imagined yourself. Like I don't have, I never imagined what my life would be. I never imagined what kids caring for kids could be. Um, I was just a, an 11 year old who wanted to do something for other people. And um, mm -hmm. I was facing something really scary myself. And I was, you know, just, I just felt like that was what God wanted for me. And I followed it. And I think like, you know, I just consistently go back to that in my own life to say like, you know, you might not be able to make sense of everything now and you might not have faith right now, but like I look back and I go, if, if that's not proof, if that's not proof that God can do powerful things in any person's life, God can use any human being. If me as an 11 year old in the hospital, like they, I mean, almost dying, right? Like really severe complication yeah. that, that I had between my transplants you know, I, I just think like if, if that can happen and and I can go out and do something for other people and help all of these other people because I'm like that's just that's God. Like there's something there. If if God can can tap into any tap into someone like me, someone who is sick, someone who is young, someone who is a kid, right? Like all of these portrayals of what being weak is then like it can happen for anyone. God can use anyone. And and I think that like if I'm honest with myself, like and if I'm being truly honest with you guys, I mean I think everyone can have their own faith beliefs and that's great. Like for me, this is what I believe and and I think that that's the 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 real lesson that I keep going back to. Thanks everybody for listening to the I Choose series podcast. Um, if you guys are not already following the Facebook and Instagram I Choose series, that's the best place to find out all that's going on with I Choose. And we are very, very excited to have you listening. So hope you might share this with your friends and your family, anyone you think that would get some value from this. Um, it's all about making a choice and reminding us that we are the lead in our life story. Thanks for listening.